and welcome to the Encounter Mercy Podcast. I'm Vince Dragone, and I have with me Father Andy Boyd. How's it going, Father Andy? Good and you, Vince. Uh, doing all right for still in the middle of a pandemic and election season coming up and all other hell breaking loose. Yeah, I'm ready for this all to be over. Yeah, yeah. as I mentioned, I think the last time uh, we spoke, hey, I'm ready for this year to be over. But hey, good news is Christmas is around the corner. I'm not sure if that's good news or bad news, to be honest, but hey, whatever, float your boat. <laughs> we, we have to try to at least appear more optimistic, um, so I'm trying. It's a good thing that you can at least, because, you know, I I got to be the one that's, you know, miserable and grounded anyway. <laughs> yeah, so um, I guess uh, this week um, I was kind of inspired by the topic um, due to an, an article that I read on uh, the, the Catholic News Agency about um, the beatification of a, uh, of a young man who died of leukemia in Italy back in 2006, uh, Carlo Acutis. And, uh, and what's really cool about him is he, he didn't, when you think of saints, you think of people in the middle medieval ages or long time ago doing these amazing like doing miracles doing you know just being these superhuman type people that we can never really aspire to be and it's really hard what we try um but but carlo was just i don't know did you have you heard about him father oh yeah yeah uh, what amazes me is that when they brought his when they uh exhumed his body you know he's still intact completely yeah and that that's it's pretty crazy too but I mean, really, the biggest thing that kind of inspires me about him is one, he's he's young, and we can kind of relate to that. Um, you know, being that we were, you know, if he were alive today, we'd be roughly the same age, and uh, and and he didn't, like I said, he he wasn't performing miracles. He wasn't. He didn't die a martyr. He was. He was just. He was. A, he was a normal, regular guy that we can all kind of relate to. Um, he died of leukemia back in two thousand six, um, but throughout his whole that whole time that he um, had cancer, leukemia is cancer, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry. Blood cancer. Yeah. Uh, white blood cells, if I remember correctly. Yes. But anyway, uh, you know, while he had that, he offered up his suffering uh, for, for the Pope and for the church. And he was so enthusiastic about the Eucharist that he actually created a website um, for Eucharist, uh, uh, Eucharistic miracles. And, and it's something that he tracked and something that he was, um, uh, really inspired by. And, and, and it's just something so simple as that, that is just, it would, it kind of amazes me. Now, I don't know any of the details about the, the miracle that was performed to you. I, yeah, no, that's you not spot. something I haven't seen much on it. I just know that, um, the one thing that they said is that, um, Oh gosh, I think if I remember right, it was, I might be getting this mixed up with another, uh, blessed and, uh, we can talk about him in a second, but he, um, if I remember right, it's either him or the blessed. And of course, do you think I can remember his name now? The founder of the Knights of Columbus. Um, let's see. I'm going to just, you know, yeah, no, here's a little on a spot or anything. I'd... But the point is that if I remember right, uh, Father McGivney. Okay, I'm not sure if it was Father McGivney who is going to be uh, beatified October 31st of this year, or if it's um, Carlos Acutis. But 
I want to say it was the cure of a baby in utero um, of some major disease. And so, which is kind of exciting. So I I think that was his miracle, if I remember right. But um, that's kind of like besides the point. But yeah. So after reading that, it's been a while since I've looked up uh, the canonization process. And I was just like, ah, I forget exactly how. I know there's... I know there's miracles that have to be performed, but I can't remember exactly how many and when they need to be, and uh, and you know just kind of the everything about like the the process. And so this is kind of what inspired that topic. Um, so I guess we can get right into it. What do you say? Yeah. So, um, what are saints? Well, it, to be very clear, we in a way we kind of need to think about saints. Um, with a capital S and a lowercase s. And it might just, it might also sound like when we're talking about um, uh, sacraments with a capital S and lowercase s, but there's a distinction and there's a pretty important distinction. So if we're talking about saints with a capital S, it's people like you and me that have died and for some reason have been elevated to a a state that we can say that they have been 100% are in heaven now with God, right? So not everybody that dies becomes a capital S saint, but there are specific people throughout the history of the church and time that um, we would label as saints. Uh, Let's go to the early days of the church. You have St. Peter. Well, why why St. Peter? Well, because he's the first pope, He's also one of Christ's original followers. He's pretty important. You know, St. Paul, um, he showed a great conversion in his life, going from accusing and killing the Christians to becoming a Christian himself and becoming one of the most prolific writers of the Christian faith in the early church. Um, But then you have people like St. Benedict. Why is St. Benedict a saint? Well, because he showed some very... um, very godlike qualities to him. And what I mean by godlike, I don't mean like we worship him. And that's key because as you say in your notes, do we worship saints? No. But what he showed is very humble and very um, important skills in his life that that uh, set him aside from other people. But then also after his death, he was showing, uh, you know, people were attributing to him uh, miracles and things like that. So St. Benedict's important. And then we have people now, even more modern saints, St. John Paul II, right? So St. John Paul II, of course, Holy Father, uh, for many years, I think over 30 some years, all of the 90s and most of the early 2000s. And so John Paul II is a modern saint, but w- the process to become a saint is not one where it's just like, okay, this person's a great person, so we're going to make them a saint. No, there's a process to it. So that's the capital S saint. Now, I distinguish this, and it's important because then we have a lowercase lower s saint. And that would be someone that isn't, you know, the church hasn't declared this person's in heaven. But it's someone, for instance, like um, when we pray for our brothers and sisters that have died, uh, and we pray that they're in heaven. Well, if they're in heaven, they're automatically a saint. So our goal in this life is to live a life that makes us saints. What does that mean? Well, it means we're in heaven 
forever, for eternity after this life with God. And so, no, when we die, we don't become angels. We don't become something else. We become saints. We become the saints that God has made us to be. And so, uh, you know, there's a very important distinction there because we are all called to be saints. We might not have our name written down with a capital S in front of it, but we have a responsibility and we have a role to face that uh, we will enter into um, this experience of being in, in heaven with God. So a saint is someone that is in heaven with God, but a capital S saint, one that we recognize like St. Paul, St. Peter, um, St. Thomas Aquinas, St. Augustine, all of those people, they, are, they have done something of heroic value um, and uh, is then... It's, it can only be after they're dead too. So it's like, it's not like someone that's living here on earth. It's someone that has to be dead because what does it mean to be a saint? Not just because you're doing great things and you're a wonderful person. No, it means you are dead and in heaven with God for eternity. Right. So it wouldn't make any sense if you were still here. Right. Uh, so I guess before we get into the the process that the church takes to, to canonize a saint, um, let's talk about some of the basic objections really. And one of them, and you kind of alluded to, is do we worship saints? Well, no. Yes and no, but it depends on your translation of, uh, <laughs> of Greek to English. Um, <clears throat> so uh, English only has one, really one meaning for the word worship. Uh, but in, in Greek, we have latria. I believe it's Greek. I'm pretty sure it's Greek. Latria and dulia. And we've talked about this in a podcast before. I can't remember exactly which episode it was. But basically, you know, latria is strict adoration that is only due to God. Uh, this is the the worship that you. This is Jesus, the one mediator. This is you praying to God, you worshiping God. Uh, and then we have dulia, and dulia is basically just honoring and paying reverence to. Uh, and that's what we do. That's the type of worship that we we use for the saints. And then there's also hyperdolia, which is for uh, for Mary. Uh, but if you were to translate, again, English is a is a wonderful language, but it's also very confusing, especially in today's age. But just to kind yeah. of get that out of the way. And then, uh, and then, what, what do you have to say, Andy or Father Andy, about um, you know, hey, I only need to pray to God. Um, God is the one mediator, and if I talk to anybody else, then I'm setting myself up to to go to hell. So there's there's a few thoughts there. Um, first off, God himself is not a mediator because God doesn't mediate. Um, a mediator is someone that is a go-between, right? So um, when you think about, for instance, let's talk about a mediator in a relationship, specifically a marriage. You would have mediation therapy where you would go to someone else to try to bridge that gap between the two parties. God himself is not the mediator. He's uh, He can mediate graces and things like that because he gives it to us. But the key is, is he's not the mediator. Um, when we talk about God, um, yes, we can pray directly to God. And absolutely, we should pray directly to God. But our prayers do not equal worship. Prayer does not equal worship because prayer is 
um, the process of coming into a relationship with God. And prayer is, as um, Brother Barnabas and AJ have mentioned in the past in their episodes as well and talking with us, prayer is important because it bridges that gap between us and God, but it also can create a connection between us and the saints and us and Mary because when we are praying to think of conversing with, when I say pray to, even when we pray to God, we are conversing with God, right? Because it's a conversation. It goes back and forth. So when we are praying to God or conversing with God, we are building this relationship. But when we are praying to or conversing with a saint who is where? Dead and in heaven. So when we're praying with a saint, we automatically know as long as they are a, a officially recognized saint of the church, we know that they are dead and in heaven. And therefore, we, when we converse with them, we are asking for them for their mediation, their prayers for us. And what is prayer? Once again, it's a conversation between God and another person, another being, another entity. And so when we are asking the saints, when we are praying to the saints, we're asking them to pray for us, right? So uh, whenever we hear the litany of saints, we do, we hear St. Michael pray for us, St. Gabriel pray for us, uh, St. John the Baptist pray for us. It's never uh, St. Michael, you're the best and we worship you and we give you the praise or St. Uh, uh, Raphael, you're the best, we give you the praise. No, 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 that's, that's reserved for God, like you said, the two distinctions of the Greek words. But when we pray to them, we're asking them to pray for us because who better to pray for us than the one that's right there next to God in heaven for all eternity. Just like when we talked about Mary in our episode on Mary, who better to pray for us than the mother of God who is right there at the uh, beck and call of the father and the son and the spirit who is right there for all eternity. So we pray to the saints and we pray to um the uh, to Mary because they are so close to God that we can ask God uh, through them to hear our prayers. So I think it's important that, like you said, to have that distinction because we're not worshiping the saints, but we are praying to them. Well done. Uh, I mean, it's similar to me asking you to to pray for me or to pray for exactly. my family. Uh, but I know, Father, you're a sinner. I know as much as you say, think that you're not, and you're the most huh. humble man. Oh, no, know, but... and I've never claimed to be perfect, because <laughs> my gosh, if I was perfect, I wouldn't be having all the problems I'm having. But you're right. It's just as much as you asking me, a sinner, to pray for you. Except but even better, I'm... you're asking someone who is sinless and right. He's been perfect perfected. in the eyes of God. Yes. yes. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, let's uh, let's get right into the, the process. So... Um, it can be very confusing just to think like, okay, so what did, what did the, the Pope just wake up one day? He reads about someone who was really cool and prayed a little bit and said, okay, this person is now a saint. Now, that's not how that works. Um, maybe that's how I thought it worked, but, but, but it's not. So the process is actually longer than I actually thought it was. Um, yeah. Uh, before actually doing any research into this, um, I thought it was really just beatification and then canonization. But no, there's actually um, at least four steps for, I mean, overarching steps. And on top of that, there's a bunch of stuff that has to happen in between. Um, but I guess first, there has to be at least five years after death. Um, yep. 
now I think there is a um, there's a special exception made by the Pope that that can be, um, but for the most part, you kind of wait for the person to be dead for five years at least, at least, um, and then the local parish community submits a request for the person to be considered for sainthood, and it, right. I guess that goes to what does that go? Does that go to the to Rome? So it first has to start with um, the bishop of the area, and the bishop of the area has to. Uh, find that this is a worthy thing. So it doesn't actually have to even come from just a parish community because often when we think about parish community, we think of just uh, that group of people that go to a specific church on a weekend. Sure. Um, it, it, it actually just, it has to come from the faithful, right? So there has to be some recognition by the faithful, whoever that might be. Um, for instance, in our diocese, there is a person that is up for canonization, um, but right now they're only in this first stage of servant of God. And so what has happened is, is that this person in particular, the bishop of the diocese, by request from a group of people, um, have requested that she be elevated to this status of servant of God. And... Um, it's just the beginning. Anything could happen. You know, she might, this person might stay at servant of God for the rest of creation or things will come up. But the, what happens now is that it takes a few, usually a few years of collecting all of the information about the person. And um, they have to compile all of this information um, before uh, they can even consider taking it to this next step. And so it's in this next step that we start to see uh, real things take place. And so, <clears throat> excuse me. So it sounds like the, after allergies, a request is made, they start gathering documents. Then the Vatican, yeah, uh, ba they basically the bishop is asking the Vatican to at least open up the possibility of this happening. And yes, if, if it's yeah. granted, then the person becomes a servant of God. Is the is the title? Yeah, so that's the first stage is the servant of God. And once all those documents are collected, then um, the diocese with the bishop, the local bishop, will take all of that documentation that they've compiled together and they send it to Rome, um, asking them to um, begin the process of actually uh, looking into this person for canonization. And it's that point that they become a venerable. And um, a venerable, um, for instance, when we look at uh, Father Michael McGivney, who is currently a blessed um, Father Michael Mag uh, Father McGivney, uh, founder of the Knights of Columbus, <clears throat> um, he is at that stage where uh, they are now waiting on, I believe, the final um, uh, um, miracle. Excuse me. Uh, his final miracle to be able to make him a true saint. Well, he, you're skipping um, so, ahead here, so we're still... Yeah, I know. I'm skipping because uh, presently, as of uh, 2008, he, uh, Father Michael McGivney is venerable servant of God. Okay. And so um, he is right now just in this venerable stage. He will become beatified here in uh, just a few days. Oh, okay. So he'll All be... Right. So the miracle already be, happened. Okay. I yeah. Um, but so this is what I think is really cool about this this step, the second step here, <clears throat> is you have this group of theologians that sit down, I guess in Rome, I'm assuming. I don't know exactly yeah. where they are. Um, and all they, over. They go over all the person's works, their writings, everything that they did, all, all this documentation that took years 
to accumulate. And they they look at it to make sure that nothing that they said or did in their life went against the faith. And then right. there's a really cool person appointed to the uh, uh, to this that is called the devil's advocate. And this is where this comes from. The it, it, it comes from the Catholic Church. Like, I don't know a thousand years ago. Um, and this person's sole job is to prove that this person does not qualify. And yep. so their job is to find things that go against uh, making this person a saint and and to pitch that idea um, and, and to try to convince the others that, nope, this person is not um, uh, is not qualified to move on. And I, I just think that's pretty cool because you hear you use devil. I mean, you hear well, at least once a week you hear the word devil's advocate. And, yeah. and that's where it comes from. Sometimes you just wonder, like, hey, where did, what, who would ever be the devil's advocate? Well, yeah, this is where it comes from. Well, and so the thing to think about that, too, is because, like, it does sound kind of um, bad or, like, so it's not like they're trying to prove that this person is a horrible person, that they're in hell. All they're trying to prove is, is that um, is there any reasonable doubt that this person should not be labeled a saint? So it's still a priest that does it. And the whole purpose is, is to make sure that nothing is forgotten, nothing is swept un- under the rug um, because we want to make sure that this is a true process that's focused on um, finding out what is really happening. Yeah, I mean, because at the end of the day, these these theologians that are looking at this, they're, they're people too, and they, have, they can have bias or they can just, whatever it is. You know, I'm, I'm sure we've all been in meetings where someone brings up an idea, it sounds great, and everyone gets excited about it, and we just continue to go. And then you got the one guy in the corner who's like, no, that's a terrible idea. This is going to, it's going to do this, this, and this, and then the company's going to tank or whatever it is. And then, yep. then you're like, oh, okay. But luckily you were here, otherwise we would have went with this. Um, you know, I think we've all kind of been in a position like that. And this is kind of the person that's kind of just bringing in the, Hey, hey, wait a second, guys! You're getting kind of sucked into this. Here's here's some other information that you know might go against what you're thinking. Exactly. Exactly. So so once once Rome decides and they permit this, once the dis- theologians discuss and and read this process, which can take a long time, it can take a long time. Um, but Rome can then state, okay, this person is now venerable. Um, we're not certain that they're a saint, but we're, they're definitely someone worthy of praise, right? There's someone worthy of recognition. And, um, then we go into the process of trying to, uh, see if there is a case to elevate someone to beatification. And so, um, the beatification process now to get this title is interesting because, uh, there's really two methods to this. Um, the first is, though, if we're following along the normal order of the uh, the path, is one attested miracle. But here's the thing. Um, you have to uh, – it has to be a miracle, but it cannot come before he's, this person is labeled a venerable. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. And it's the same thing um, for – uh, the canonization with the next step, and we'll get to that in a second. Once the person is made a, is beatified and become a blessed, um, there has to be another miracle, and it can't happen before they are beatified. It has to happen after they're beatified. So it's it's you it's one attested miracle, and that goes under a lot of scrutiny, a huge amount of scrutiny, and it often takes years to prove it. 
Um, but it's important for that because um, through their intercession, God has done something major and something amazing. So, um, but it, it requires that one attested miracle, and then it is scrutinized by Rome and by other groups because um, there are, there of course, there have been people that lied. You know, it's not like the world is perfect. I mean, we have so books we, about people who went to heaven and came back and wrote all about it, and then that's right around and said, "Nope, that was all a lie." <laughs> Exactly. And so, you know, it's not like, um, so it, it, you can't just automatically say, okay, this person's a mirror, uh, has had a miracle and it, it's perfect. Right. So it, it has to go through some judgment and Rome takes care of that. Um, it can't be the local authorities that do it because they might, once again, like you said, be biased and, and we don't want any bias in this. It has to be completely objective, completely objective. Um, so then what's the, the other way? If, if it's not yes. a miracle, what, what's the other way? Martyrdom. So you can be made a, a blessed. You can skip the first two processes if you are martyred for the faith. And a perfect uh, example of that is Blessed Father uh, Stanley Rother. And Father Stanley Rother was an Oklahoma priest. He was born March 27th, 1935 in uh, Orch, I'm bad with names. I don't even know how you'd say that. But he was born in Oklahoma. He was ordained a priest for the Diocese of Oklahoma City uh, in 1963. And he served in the diocesan Guatemalan mission for 14 years. Um, and what happened was is that he was in this um, – mission and he ministered to his parishioners in their homes and the and the sick and aided them uh, especially working in the farms he was often in the farms um but the problem is is while he was in guatemala a civil war rage uh a civil war rage between the militaristic government and the guerrillas not the animal the guerrilla warfare and etc you know, the the groups Can of you people picture that <laughs> yeah well uh, i'm fairly certain Planet something about the, the simpsons <laughs> I, I vaguely remember the simpsons making fun of that at some point but um so there was a there was a civil war going on and during this conflict uh hundreds of thousands of catholics were killed due to the church's insistence on helping um both sides didn't want that Eventually, Father Rother was targeted. Uh, for his safety, Father Rother returned home to Oklahoma, but he wasn't happy there. He did not want to stay there. So he returned to uh, his home in Guatemala. And within days of his return, three men entered the rectory and executed Father Rother. Um, so Father Rother is recognized as someone who fought courageously for the well-being of the people and not just any people, but his people. And being that he was killed uh, by execution, um, we recognize him as a blessed, a blessed, a blessed, <laughs> yeah, a blessed, um, as a blessed. So he didn't have to go through that whole process of having everything about him um, be scrutinized right away. He was automatically elevated to a blessed because his faith is what we are um, holding true to, right? And so we believe in very much so if you die for the faith, if you die for the church, um, it's a very, a very noble way to die. And so when it comes to the canonization process, now he's having to undergo the uh, process of, of um, 
you know, having his entire life scrutinized because before he can go on to become canonized saint, they're going to make sure that he didn't ever try to like say, okay, um, you can baptize your dog and your dog's going to be in heaven because you baptize it. Like there's other reasons why your dog's going to be in heaven, not because you baptize it. That's not a teaching of the church. Sure. But the point is that now he's going to be scrutinized. So, uh, so I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot one more time. Um, I don't know if you remember back in uh, two, it must have been five, I think it was five years ago, the um, martyrdom of the, the Coptic Christians by ISIS when they were yes. all beheaded on the beach. Are, yes. are any of them being beatified? Do we know? I don't, I don't honestly know. That would be something I'd be interested to look into that. What I can say is that um, the Holy Father at the time did recognize them as martyrs. Yeah, I remember So that. they would technically be blessed, and they actually have in the Eastern churches, being that they were Coptics, um, they have an icon made of them that is permissible to be displayed in churches, oh, cool. which for the Eastern church, that, that means a lot. Um, so there's the question of, are they martyrs? Well, everyone but one of the persons in that group is a martyr um, in the, the automatic was, sense was still, was because there was only one that wasn't baptized. Okay. But the reason why we can also say that he was martyred is because he was most likely baptized by desire or baptized by blood because of his willingness to die in the same group of these people. And so... He's included on the icon, but um, icon iconography is a very interesting art form. Um, I, I, and I would love, yeah, I would love to have an episode about that. But we're not the ones who are going to be the experts to talk about that. But the interesting thing about that whole picture is, and it it, it does fit into our story today a little bit because in that in image of the Coptic martyrs, there are. I don't remember how many there were, but all of them but one, the martyrs are painted in a olive-colored skin, but the unbaptized person is painted in a darker olive color. Okay. So it um I don't want to say black because it's not black in 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 um when you're dealing with icons, there's no black people versus white people, there's no race, but it's just uh, lightness of colors because of they're trying to point out holiness versus unholiness. Oh, and what they're showing yeah, here is just looked it up. He's, exactly. He's different. He looks different because and, he's not baptized. And he's also looking the other way. He's the only one looking, everyone's looking towards Jesus and Jesus is in the upper. And we're going to, we'll, we, we should post this in the, in the notes, but Jesus yeah. is in the upper left-hand corner and all of the martyrs are looking at him except for this one guy, he's looking down in the other way. And then you got a guy on the upper right-hand side with a sword that's about to cut their heads off. This right. is actually really, really cool. I love iconography. Yeah. It, it, it's an interesting art form, and and it's an interesting theology because there's a whole theology of it. And like I said, it's nothing to do with him being a bad person that he's in the dark. He's darker skinned. It's everything to do with the fact that he is um, not baptized. And so we're not sure. Uh, you know, I'd have to look up more on this, but there, we're not sure about the um, status of him. But they're all martyrs because they died for the faith. Um, so they would most likely be considered blessed but they might not be blessed in the capital B sense because it might not be 100% notified by the church written in stone. This is what it is. So more information needs to be looked up into that. And I will uh, do the best we can to help out with that too. But uh, the final process of this, after the first attested miracle, 
is then the canonization and there needs to be one more miracle attributed to the person after they are beatified. And so once that final miracle comes about, then the person is listed as a saint in the church. A feast day is made for the universal church. And that saint is then someone that the entire church can pray to in public uh, situations and circumstances. So it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful situation. And what a perfect time of year for us to be talking about this topic, because Vince, what comes up in two weeks time? Uh, oh, week yeah. oh my goodness. All Saints Day. Whoops. Sorry. That's right. I hit the microphone. Yeah. I, I was just actually talking to my wife before we came down to record. I can't believe it's almost November. I know. Well, not only that, but this year, All Saints Day falls on a Sunday. Normally, we would think, well, that's just a Sunday then. It doesn't matter. No, no, no. All Saints Day takes press, uh, preference over the Sunday liturgy. So we actually get to celebrate All Saints Day on a Sunday. And uh, it means that it's going to have all the readings about the saints. It's going to be in white. And we're going to hear all about, um, uh, in the scripture, we're going to talk about heaven. And um, it's a very important day. So we have All Saints Day on Sunday this year. And then on Monday, the 2nd of November, which is often forgotten, but is All Souls Day. And so, like I said, there's a difference between saints and capitalist saint and lowercase s saint. All Souls Day encompasses everybody else that has died. Those included in purgatory and those that are in heaven that are not capital S saints. Often the uh, color, well, in the more traditional priests, we will wear black, not to signify that they're in hell, not to signify that they're bad people, but that they're dead, that they're dead. You know, when we're dead uh, in, in our culture, the signifying color is black. And so we pray for the dead on All Souls Day. Um, and we ask that God might forgive those who are in purgatory and help us elevate those uh, who are not elevated to capitalist sainthood to become saints. And so it's a day to pray for all of our dead, um, whether in heaven or in purgatory. And we give thanks to God on that day. It's not a day to mourn in sorrow, but rather a day to mourn in joy, knowing that we shall too see them one day face to face when God will wipe away the tear from our eyes and call us back to himself where we will hear him say, come follow me. So it's a beautiful time of our year. We've come to a beautiful moment in our church, uh, even with all of this insanity that is going on around us and the sadness going on around us. We have two wonderful feast days coming up that we celebrate in our church. And uh, what a wonderful way to do that, the, to start that celebration today is to start praying to the saints and asking for their intercession in our lives. What a great thing to look forward to. We started this podcast off all doom and gloom, and and now you just reminded me that uh, October's almost over, and yeah, we have something to look forward to. We got a lot to look forward to for the rest of the year here. So, uh, I guess with that, uh, we're gonna we're gonna end the show, and uh, thank you all for listening. And make sure that if you haven't already done so, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Um, you can find us at www.encountermercy.com as well as on all the social media accounts uh, that we are still doing a terrible job at updating. And maybe that's going to be something we're going to wait until January 1st, and that'll Probably. be our New Year's resolution. Um, Does someone want to like uh, offer to fix that for us? Anybody? Bueller? Yeah, I don't think Bueller. so. Bueller? 
No. Yeah, yeah, we just have to get our game up. But uh, I guess with that said, uh, thank you everybody for listening. And uh, we look forward to meeting with you again next week. Oh, and uh, Father, real quick, really fast, uh, the uh, feast day for the saints, is it usually on the day of their, their death? Depends. Oh, okay. Well, maybe that'll go in the notes. All right, bye, everybody. Bye.